1: It's time for Crack the Customer Code, the ultimate podcast to help you unlock the secrets to understanding and connecting with your customers.
0: Adam, you know, we've been talking about AI a little bit more lately. and A little
1: bit. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I think sometimes it's really easy to think of it as like robots and machinery and things. But when we talk today I think we talked more about values and ethics around AI and why those two are so connected. And I think that is fascinating.
1: It absolutely is. And that, you know, we talked to Riaz from our seasonal sponsor, Alida, and he had so many great insights both into that level of it, which is, you know, really understanding what are the challenges. And I think if you are executing, if you, or you're trying to use AI in your organization, using, you know, a service or product like Alita's, whatever, however you're approaching that, you're going to be facing all these questions. Where are the lines? How do we approach it? How do we, uh, you know, balance uh, helpful and creepy, as uh, he put it, I think mm-hmm. I got those adjectives right. Um, But then also seeing, which you know, and I hope everyone listens all the way to the end of this episode because seeing what we talked about at the end, which is the power, what how we're you know actually able to use AI, which you know you you made this point great in the episode, like it's almost counterintuitive that we're using it to connect better, right? These machines because we can't connect at scale. And AI is actually helping us bridge that gap. And it's because it's so powerful And seeing how organizations can use that uh, to enhance customer experience is just incredible, really.
0: It really is. And I think everybody who listens to this will get so much value from this conversation. So even if you're thinking, "Ah, AI, we're not there yet, Listen to this episode. We're there. We're there. Yeah, exactly. So let me introduce you to our guest today. Riaz Rehan is president at Alita. He leads product strategy, product management, research and development, engineering, UX design, and customer cloud operations for the company. Riaz's team builds world-class customer experience management products for Alita customers. He is a veteran at SAP, Cisco, Infor, and Accenture. Most recently, he was the GM for Cisco's Internet of Things business unit in San Jose, California. Riaz holds engineering and MBA degrees and is a graduate of the Stanford University Management Development Program. Well, we are thrilled to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us, Riaz. Hey,
2: it's uh, great to be here.
1: Oh, Riaz, so happy to have you, and I'm excited to hop into our topic today. Now, a lot of times when we talk about AI, we're talking about, okay, how are we going to serve the customers? How are we going to use it to execute? But what I'd like to uh, start off with today is... How do we use AI to better understand customers?
2: So that's a that's a great question, Adam. And, you know, the, the way AI helps is it helps us with the problem of scale. For example, if you're a small business and you have 10 customers, you don't need AI. You need to just talk to them and you'll know what they feel and they'll give you feedback. The challenge is when you have 10 million customers and you have 10 million customers coming at you in different ways, we call that omni-channel. So you've got customers coming through a website, maybe calling a call center, maybe doing transactions in retail stores that you might have, uh, uh, and and, interacting with your brand in multiple different ways. That's when you have what we call multiple signals. So now you have complexity because you've got all these customers, potentially in different parts of the country, different parts of the world, different languages, different channels. What AI can help with is it can help understand the voice of the customer over time. And what that means is uh, being able to to really pick out the signal from all the noise, understand a customer's preferences uh, over time, and keep a track on how that customer is evolving in their relationship with you. Uh, AI solves that problem at scale.
0: I love that because I think we all want to understand our customers so much more than we can when we're just trying to do it kind of manually. (laughs) And I know that right now there are a lot of opportunities around AI. I think people struggle with what those are, and I also wonder if we are... um, able to really look to the future a little bit. How can we predict what our customers will want? because you're you know I like how you're talking about over time what happens when we look ahead? Is there a way to use AI to predict what
2: customers will want in the future? So AI definitely helps with that, Jeannie. And before I jump into how we do it, I think it's important to understand that you know AI can help us be extremely helpful and insightful, but there is a fine line between helpful and creepy. <laughs> and and we always have to say on the right side of that line. Uh, in terms of how we do the predictions, it's about, you know, there's three types of feedback, typically, right, when we deal with customers. There's direct, which is asking a customer a question through a survey or a microsurvey, they give you a response, that's direct feedback. Then there's indirect. Indirect is what customers say about you, not necessarily to you. So, for example, what customers might say about you to another customer, uh, word of mouth, or what they might say about you in social media. So that's indirect. And then, of course, there's inferred. Inferred is when you're inferring what a customer might need based on their life changes or their preferences in terms of what they bought or changes in buying pattern behavior. So all of those direct, indirect, inferred can be can be computed together. And, and good AI, you know, for example, Alida AI, sits on top of our systems and listens to all of this and makes good, well-thought-out predictions on what customers might want. Uh, and this could take a variety of forms. You know, For example, for a banking customer, it could be that, that the AI predicts that they are now looking to buy a home or make some investments and therefore propose a product. For a retail customer, it might be that they just bought something that might need a service plan or might need uh, some kind of installation support, uh, and so on and so forth. In healthcare, there might be uh, things that they might need based on based on their health records. So all of these are examples of AI in a very in a very positive, non creepy way, making good <laughs> suggestions.
1: Well, actually, I'd love to, and you know, it's it's just it's so incredible the power that it has, and you know, that what we can do with it. Uh, I'd actually like to circle back. How do you approach that sort of creepy factor? Because you know, that was before we really started using AI the way we are now. Yeah, we we were seeing some of those challenges just with big data, right? I mean, there was that sort of very famous Target case um, where a a teenage girl had had a health uh, situation and her parents found out about it and things like because of like proactive, you know, data usage and customer, you know, uh, trying to guess customer intent. So how do you build that in? How do you approach that? Because it's such a challenge.
2: It is. It is, Adam. And, you know, that case you just mentioned happened at Target. It happened 10 years ago and we still talk about it because it was in the news for so long and it made such a mark. But, you know, I'll start with by saying this. At Alida, one of our core values is empathy. And empathy is an important value. I mean, any, you know, you treat people the way you want to be treated. So if a friend makes a suggestion about something that they used and it's valuable, that's great. But if a stranger does it, that's not great. So if you if you use that value of empathy in systems, AI doesn't have a soul. It doesn't have a sense of morality. It's just a computing uh, capability that does what it does based on rules defined by people. Uh, and I think that's where we have to make the the right decisions. Who are the people who are writing those rules? Uh, do they represent society at large? Do they have the right sense of morality, the right diversity, the right sense of ethics? Uh, and I've also believed, I've always believed, that when you when you're designing systems like AI, you don't want to just meet the letter of the law. You really want to meet the spirit of the law. There's really good regulation out there that defines uh, what can and cannot be done. And just just meeting those regulations isn't enough. I think we have to go far beyond that and understand what was the intent of the regulation, not just can we meet the letter of the law. And when you do that, uh, what you end up with are systems with good checks and balances, uh, systems where uh, the company using it uh, is making a, uh, conscious choice of what they're doing. Uh, and of course, systems that improve over time and and you know are more on the helpful side, uh, as opposed to crossing that fine line.
0: So I love that you started by talking about the values of Alita, and that's how you really connect the dots with the spirit of those regulations. Because I think that's so important when we talk about ethical AI. I think a lot of organizations struggle with who should who should come up with those regulations for the company you know like who should actually create these rules of the road for the development of ai and how we use it with our customers i'm just curious have you seen good examples of that or how do you guide
2: leaders when they're struggling with that it's a great question i mean the government has obviously laid out uh, rules that apply across the country across uh, uh, Across AI and across security and privacy and so on and data privacy, which is a big adjacent issue to AI, uh, and uh, and those rules are well documented. However, I think we companies have to go above and beyond those rules, and it comes down to individual companies making individual choices about what to do uh, with AI eventually. So, as an example, in our company, we sat down, uh, you know, our CEO Ross Wainwright, myself. Uh, the, the rest of the executive team, we sat down and we we asked ourselves deeply, what kind of company do we want to be, uh, and especially in this day and age, you know, with COVID happening and with uh, with the BLM movement that's happening and with a lot of things that are happening, you know, in the in the macro sphere, what kind of company do we want to be, and that's when we landed on you know our set of values, and that really guides everything we do. So it's not just something that sits on our website or sits on a brochure or sits on a recruiting deck. It's something that we truly believe in. It guides how we design products, it guides how we architect products, how we design services, how we go to market. Uh, And sometimes, you know, there are opportunities where we think uh, a customer or a prospect wants to do too much with AI, or wants to cross that invisible line, and you'll actually say no to that business. It's a difficult thing to do, but I think it's the right thing to do in the long term, because mm-hmm. uh, it is a slippery slope, and you always want to be on the right side of history when it comes to AI.
1: Yeah, I think you know that's one of the things I've wondered about is you know not only if you have to turn down a client, right? But what happens when you're compet? I mean, this happens in every sphere, of course. You always have, you know, sort of bad actors in any in industry. But with technology, with something like AI, it could be such an incredible competitive advantage to, you know, have a competitor that is not doing that. How will you guard against, you know, uh, keeping that a uh, true north, so to speak, um, you know, as you go forward? Because that's I, I love. You know, it's one of the things we're so happy about our partnership with Alida is that you have this great ethic about how you approach business and how you approach experience and technology. Uh, how do you maintain that over the long
2: term? Uh, you know, Adam, it comes back to thinking about the long term. I think it's short-termism that leads to people taking shortcuts and trying to win a deal and and trying to please a customer in the short term. In the long term, our only true north is our final customer, not not our client who buys our software. But the eventual customer who who receives that that offer, that survey, uh, that piece of engagement, we are always putting ourselves in the shoes of the eventual user. And, And we let them guide us in the true north. What we have found is, I think doing the right thing may not be convenient in the short term, but it's the only thing in the long term. And a lot of our customers have been customers now for over a decade. Uh, they keep coming back to us. They keep expanding the use of our software. They keep trying new things with our software. Uh, and in some ways, I've also received feedback from our customers who come back to us and says, you know what? When we started this program, we wanted to do certain things with it. You guys actually advised against it. I'm glad you did, because that would probably have been a bit of a stretch. Instead, we did A, B and C, and we got some great results. and And that's the kind of partnership that we want to build with our with our longest standing customers. We also serve many customers who belong to the Fortune 500. So even a small mistake by them gets remembered for decades. You know, for example, the one that you mentioned when you started the call and we want to avoid those. And I think the best way to do that is to always be, uh, you know, on the right side of that line.
0: I, I really appreciate that approach, and I think that when we are talking about AI, I mean, you mentioned that happened 10 years ago and it's hard to believe like, whoa, I think a lot of us are, are thinking like, AI's been around a lot longer than we thought because the conversation level has just, you know, completely uh, increased over the last several years. And I think one of the things we've talked about a lot more, especially in this last year, is how important it is to have diversity um, in every step of the journey with your customers. And that includes the programming of the AI and making sure that you have the right people in the room who can really deliver on that. And I'm just curious about, you know, what have you seen as some of the challenges in these last few years? How have, have you evolved or how have you seen AI evolve in order to address some of those specific needs?
2: You bring up a great point around diversity, uh, uh, Jeannie. Uh, I spend a lot of time thinking about the implicit bias in AI. And, and this is something that's well-researched, it's well-known in the industry. Uh, at the end of the day, AI is a tool, and a tool will represent the values of the tool maker. And as a, as a maker of tools, that's, that's a responsibility we must take, and we must take it seriously. So it's very important uh, that our AI teams represent the diversity of the people that the AI is intended to serve. And I think that's the only way we get to that. And when, whether that's gender diversity, or racial diversity or diversity uh, of, you know, the LGBTQ community and having that representation or diversity from different cultural contexts. We take all of those types of diversity on many dimensions very seriously. Uh, We try to be as open-minded and diverse as we possibly can when we hire engineering talent into the team. And I think that helps us build better balanced and, and, you know, less biased, Uh, AI models and machine learning models and so on. And this is a never ending journey. Uh, I've gotten some great feedback from our customers who appreciate that because they are obviously looking to use our tools with their customers and the world is changing. One of the things we also wanna do is bring in perspectives from people at all levels of the age spectrum, not just people that are concentrated you know in their 30s or 40s or 50s but also people in their 20s and and perhaps even people in their late teens because those are the customers of tomorrow so all of those dimensions uh, are important and i think bringing that into the ai just makes it more robust and more meaningful i yeah, love I that
0: you mentioned age by the way thank you for saying that because i think that's something that is often overlooked and it's uh I think this last year especially has shown how there are a lot of assumptions about age that go away when there's a need that people, you know, if they need to figure out technology, they will. And uh, I think it's a really important factor. So I'm really, I appreciate that you mentioned that.
1: Yeah. And I think the idea that, you know, when we create a tool, when we create the machine, you know, the machine reflects the machine maker, right? So you've got to, you've got to get the people in the room that are going to, Make the machine reflective of the population it's going to serve. So I love that you're approaching it that way, and love that you know lead thinking that way. Now we've you know because this is such a fascinating topic, we've been talking really high level sort of you know theoretical stuff. I'd like to you know narrow down a little bit to how you're using it for clients, like. Mm-hmm. What what's happening at the cutting edge right now with AI how are companies you know creating better customer experiences using this technology
2: so there's lots of great things happening and I'm glad you asked that because you know I live this every day and I get I get the opportunity to work with customers and see those aha moments with them so I'll give you I'll give you three small examples that I think might illustrate the point the first thing we're doing is we're investing very heavily in video and video-based feedback and video analytics and it's all driven by AI. Uh, so because we're all now constrained to our homes and working remotely, et cetera, it's even more important for our customers, uh, our clients rather, you know, whether they make shoes or they make cosmetics or they make cars, to get feedback from their customers in the field. And we find that video is a great medium. So our technology, our Alida suite, allows us to capture video feedback. And the AI actually does what we call facial emotion recognition. Uh, It understands if the feedback from the end consumer is positive, negative, if there's happiness, disgust, anger, joy, surprise. And it can actually track all those emotions. It's a tremendously rich way of getting feedback. It's not just the words or the tone of the words. It's also the facial expressions that go along with the words. And AI is helping bring a lot of science to that. And that feedback, and it's all voluntary. It's all based on consent. It's all based on people wanting to give that feedback is helping our clients you know, architect better products. The other example is around social. Social media is a tremendous source of feedback. The challenge with social media is there's so much of it. Just How noise, do you... right?
1: <laughs> How do you get through the noise? <laughs>
2: exactly. And AI is allowing us to do that. I'll give you an example. You know, So let's say we're going after John Smith and we want to really understand what John Smith feels. And John Smith is a typical customer for our company. Uh, or for our, our client's company. And, and John Smith goes by J Smith on Twitter, but he goes as John S on a different social platform and so on and so forth. How do you know you're listening to the same person? Well, that's tough. And we have a technology called Unique Customer Identifier. It actually cobbles together the patchwork of signals that we get and helps identify and say, you're actually listening to the same person. Or all of these other people who appear to be the same person are not the same person and here's why. AI does that when we do it at scale. So that's another great example, I think, of how AI makes something so seemingly uh, uncomputable into something that's possible. And it does this in seconds.
0: That's so cool. Incredible. (laughs) Um, And the emotion, like understanding people's emotion, I think that's amazing too. Like all of this stuff is just going to, I think, build a foundation where we can actually have more empathy for one another. And that's what I get excited about when I hear about these things, because they're tools that are actually going to allow us to connect more one-on-one and with more humanity at a bigger scale, which is kind of surreal to think about because <laughs> it's, it's machines doing it, but it's so cool. Um, and this, I mean, this is just fascinating. And I love this conversation and how we're, we're talking about all of these amazing future focused things. And now I want to... Uh, Bring us back a little bit because we ask a question of all our guests here this season on Crack the Customer Code, and you are no exception, Riaz. So we're going to (laughs) go ahead and ask you this question. So if we were asking to sum up customer experience in general, and we asked you to put a customer experience expression or phrase on a bumper sticker, what would that be and why? And, and how many words? Uh, you know, well, it's, it's a bumper sticker, so not too many.
1: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll call the printer.
0: <laughs> yeah, but you can change the font size. <laughs> <laughs>
2: customer experience is the art of looking at your company through the eyes of the customer. Lovely. Oh, and that's exactly what I it like is. That. It is
0: art. I love it. We're talking about all these scientific machine things, but there's an art to it. So that's perfect. Thank you so much. We will now adorn all of our vehicles with that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that is awesome. Well, thank you so much, Riaz. It's been awesome having you on the show, and just love what you're doing and how you're approaching it. Uh, is there you know any way people can connect with you or learn more?
2: Absolutely. You know, I uh, I love getting feedback, and uh, I love listening to different points of view. My email ID is riaz at Alida, A-L-I-D-A dot com. And I welcome uh, welcome your comments and feedback. That's excellent.
0: Thank you so much. This was a wonderful conversation. Thanks
1: for being here. So Jeannie, do you know what one of the toughest things to do in all of customer experience is? There's a long list. (laughs) There is a long list. (laughs) Prioritizing is so hard. Knowing what parts of the journey are most important, knowing where to focus your energies, where to focus staff, resources. Prioritization in CX is a huge challenge, and it is something that the larger an organization gets, the more it becomes a challenge.
0: It's so true. And we see people and leaders struggle with this because they get a lot of information, they take the right steps, and then everybody wants them to do everything at once or nothing at all.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So you know what can help you, our listeners, with this is the free report from Forrester, that our seasonal sponsor Alita is providing to you. It will help you. It is all about how to build a strong foundation for prioritizing CX. And you can find that at alita.com/slash CTCC. That is Alida, A-L-I-D-A dot com slash C-T-C-C. And this report will really open your eyes to how you can start thinking about your customer experience, you know, programs and journeys and putting your energies into the right places. You know what I'm most excited about, Jeannie? What? Well, this idea of reading facial, you know, signals, because I've been trying to do this with you for, like, five or six years now. <laughs> I'm still obviously not good at it, based on our conversations. So having a computer to help me would just be fantastic.
0: You know, I think a lot of men <laughs> would oh. appreciate the AI helping the them with the emotional recognition software. <laughs> yes, I think you're on to something, another way to use this technology. But we need to yeah. tell Alita
1: they're, they're missing a whole market here. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I had heard about that technology before, but never quite in that detail. And I think it's so interesting how it might help. Like, think about gate agents at airports, right? Like, they never know who's coming for them. <laughs> like, what <laughs> mood is coming up to me? Think about giving them some of this technology eventually so that they can really be prepared and understand and show more empathy. I think that it's it's we're really just at the start of this, even though, as Riaz mentioned, we're more than 10 years in. We're really at the start of this evolution, and I think it's really exciting to watch.
1: Yeah, it was a fascinating episode. I'm sure everybody got a lot out of it. And Mm -hmm. even though we can't see your faces, audience, you know, we feel you.
0: (laughs) Yes, we do. And we so appreciate you being here, of course, with us. And, you know, if you're interested in learning more about CX and how a platform like Alita can help you or more about what Riaz talked about, you're invited to go to Alida.com, A-L-I-D-A.com slash C-T-C-C. And you can book time to talk to an expert at that special site. So go to Alida.com slash C-T-C-C. There's also a Forrester report you can download that will help you prioritize your CX efforts. So thank you so much for being here at Crack the Customer Code. We are always grateful for you. I'm Jeannie Walters, and you can learn more about me at experienceinvestigators.com.
1: And I'm Adam DePork, and you can learn more about me at CustomersAtStick.com. Until next time, take care of yourself. And take care of your customers.